Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 149, and folks, it has been decided. There is a best van out there, sorta. And we're going to reveal the details as soon as we get started with the show. We're also going to talk about K-vans and what they are and why we can't have them. A tale from the road involving a car that talks, and that's not a good thing, and a place to visit that's like a van, but underwater. (laughs) Hello everyone, welcome back, thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone's going to have a lovely solstice, which is of course the reason for the season, and I understand quite a few of you are going to be in weather that is colder than you used to, so... Very quickly, if you find yourself in a situation where you're much colder in your van than you ever anticipated, a very easy, quick, simple way to warm up in your van at night is to get in your sleeping bag and get in there with a bottle, a bag, or something filled with hot water. Heat up some water as hot as you can get it, put it in a container that can handle hot water and not leak, and put that in your sleeping bag, or two of them, or whatever. It's amazing how much heat it will give off and for how long, and it will help you get through the night. Those of us who have grown up up north aren't too worried about this, but those of you who've spent most of your lives down south, yeah, it's going to be pretty cold. So do what you have to to stay warm. At any rate, guess what, folks? It has been decided what the best van is. And not by me. This isn't a matter of opinion here. We're talking strictly about facts. Yes, the best van that you can get is the Dodge Caravan. What? You don't agree with that? You think I've missed something? Well, let me explain. Recently, a study was done on what used vehicles give you the best bang for the buck, and that is defined as which vehicle will give you the most miles for the least amount of dollars. So the Chevy Impala (laughs) is actually the best used vehicle you can buy if you're looking to get the most miles for the least amount of dollars. At an average price of $9,706, it is estimated that you will have about $87 per thousand miles to spend for the remaining life of this vehicle, and they're guessing that it will die at 230,000 miles. So um, that is the, the highest longevity vehicle. However, it may not be the best camper in the world. I mean, you can make a camper out of anything, but a Chevy Impala, eh, not so much. Uh, and, and honestly, while there's nothing even close to a Chevy Impala for value, the next vehicle on the list, and this list is from CNBC, by the way, I will have a link in the show notes, is the Toyota Prius. The problem with the Prius is that it demands a lot more money. The average price is $13,878. But with a potential lifespan of up to 251,000 miles, it ends up being $107 per thousand miles. So it's a big difference from 87 to 107. It's it's 30. That's $30. That's per thousand miles. That's that's not a little. But Priuses actually do make good camping vehicles, so there you go. But I did say the best van. That's what I said. And the best van that you can buy for spending the least amount of money and having the most number of miles is 
the Kia Sedona. Now, this isn't a van we talk about very much. This is a minivan. It is very generic. It's just a minivan. There's really nothing special about it. It doesn't have any features that other vehicles don't have. And I've honestly never seen one turned into a camper, although I'm positive somebody has. So if you can find a Kia Sedona, the average used price is $110 per thousand miles left because they predict that these things will die at 209,000 miles. Again, this is all guesstimates and individual vehicles vary greatly, but you know, when taken on average, that's what this study found. Now the good news is, is that's not the only van in the top 10. There's other vehicles on here like the Toyota Avalon and the Honda Fit and the Honda Accord and the Ford Fusion and the Camry Hybrid. Let's put them aside for now because what we love here is vans mostly. And uh, yeah, the other van on here, and this actually might be the true best van, is the Dodge Caravan. Yes, and let's talk specifically about the Dodge Caravan. Nothing wrong with the Kia Sedona, it's fine. But the Dodge Caravan has some things going for it that the Kia Sedona doesn't. And I hear some of you minivan folks saying out there, but wait, it has been established that the Toyota Sienna is the best van out there. And I'm not going to disagree with that. There are definitely arguments for that. Toyota Sienna is bigger than the Grand Caravan. It has much better reliability, but it's also a heck of a lot more expensive. And if you can find one, you're going to spend a lot more money. And at the end of the day, we're kind of talking about money here. So let's talk about the Grand Caravan, because I think if you're looking to get into van life right now, that might be your best option. Those of you looking for full-size cargo vans, this doesn't apply. This is mostly for people who are looking for minivan-type camping arrangements. But maybe you didn't know this, the Grand Caravan is actually bigger than an NV200 or a Promaster City or any of the microvans. It's not taller, it's longer, and that makes it much easier to put a bed in, especially if you're a tall person like me. I actually considered getting rid of my NV200 and getting a caravan because when I did the math, I could sleep much easier in the caravan. And then I did the other math of how low the ceiling was and, and well, yeah. Tall people have problems in vans. At any rate, let's talk about the Dodge Caravan and why you should consider it, because it's got some things that you may not have thought of. Okay, so it is miles per dollars really good. It's only beat by the Sedona, and it's not beat by that much. It's easy to find parts for. This is something that's come up with me in my Sprinter. Uh, you can take a Dodge Caravan basically anywhere in the U.S. and find parts for it. There are so many of them on the road, and they have a very common engine in them that is in many, many, many vehicles. It's a super easy vehicle to find parts for, and that means aftermarket parts are available, and that generally means they are much cheaper. And having mechanics that can work on them everywhere, unlike my Sprinter, which there's very few mechanics that can work on it, is a huge advantage if you're out on the road. Another thing these things have is the stow-and-go seating. And if you're not familiar with that, the seats don't come out of the van. They go into a hole in the floor and disappear. And this has two advantages for van life, folks. First, if you're a no-build kind of person, you can just get rid of the seats and then put whatever you're going to do for the camper part just right on top of them, and then it can be undone instantly without doing any damage to the van. You don't have to have a place to store your seats, because it's a stow and go. That's the idea. 
Or if you do want to do a full build-out, you can remove the seats and then you have these massive compartments in the floor that are good for storing batteries and tanks and things like that. And because they're in the floor, they're in the bottom and center of the vehicle and they lower your center of gravity. I mean, it's actually the perfect place to put heavy things. And it's also helpful for hiding things because thieves may not think to look in there. And another plus is these things are pretty good on gas. They get about 25 miles a gallon on the highway. Compare that to any full-size van and you will see the benefit here. And they just use regular gas. You don't have to find anything special. Also, the older ones, and that's what we're talking about here, about 10-year-old vehicles, don't have airbags in the sides. And this is a problem if you have a newer minivan like the Pacifica that replaced the Dodge Caravan or the new Siennas or the new any of them. There are often airbags all down the sides in the back. And the problem with that is that those airbags interfere with whatever you're building. You have to be very careful not to screw a screw into them. And if you disable them, you have to do it in a very specific way or you will disable the airbag system in the entire vehicle. And that's not a good thing. Or if you just ignore them and you get into an accident, your airbags are going to explode inside your build, possibly throwing cabinets or pieces of cabinets and their contents with explosive force throughout the car. This is not a good thing, and you don't have to worry about it with the older caravans. Now, if you do decide to get an older minivan, whether it be a Sedona or a caravan, I do have some advice for you. First, consider that you're getting an older vehicle. It's probably not wise to buy a $10,000 vehicle and do a $30,000 build in it. The thing just isn't going to last that long. You know, we're doing these really fancy builds and sometimes in vehicles that just aren't going to last long enough to justify that. So you have to weigh that out for yourself. Also, if you're going to buy one of these, I would recommend getting the simplest one possible because Dodge Caravan specifically, you know, these are not the most reliable vehicle. They're fine. A lot of people swear by them. That's all good. But what tends to break on them are the fancy things, the electrical things, like the doors in the back that are electrically opened and closed. I would avoid that if you can. Uh, and there's even reports that those doors have sensors that are always powered so they can kill your battery, especially if you leave the doors open. So go simple. Avoid anything that can break, and you'll be able to use your vehicle longer. Although I really do like cruise control. That would be a hard one for me to give up. <laughs> So, folks, there you have it. I mean, that is the best van right now for people who want to start van life and want to maximize the life of the van when compared to the amount of money. And, yeah, for 10000 bucks, you can probably get another 100,000 miles out of a Grand Caravan and... Oh, and I left out one important thing that a lot of, that's fairly controversial. There's nothing stealthier than a Grand Caravan. If you black out the windows... You can park that on any street anywhere and nobody's going to think anything of it unless you go crazy with solar panels and other stuff like that. But most people will not give a Grand Caravan a second look. And for those of you who find stealth super important, that is another big plus. At any rate, I hope you find the van you're looking for and it is always useful to look outside the box and maybe change what you were thinking so that you can accomplish your goal of getting on the road. Tech Talk. So I got a lovely note from Erica who wrote to tell me about a new van that looks very cool and it's made by Honda and it's an electric van 
and it's only $7,300. I mean, it's, it sounds too good to be true, right? It does like 120 miles on a charge, and you can actually get it with an engine if you want, but never mind that, it's only $7,300. I was just talking about $10,000 10-year-old used vans. So why isn't everybody jumping on this amazing van? <laughs> well, folks, uh, it's because it's a K van, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, K-E-I van. It's apparently short for Keiji Dosha, which I'm probably almost certainly pronouncing incorrectly, which means light automobile. And yeah, folks, this van is not, it's like, like a normal van. In fact, they're illegal to register in most states in the U.S., and they're not imported. You would have to find one somewhere. It's, it's a glorified golf cart. I'm sorry to say. They are cute as all get out. And when I travel to other countries, I see them all the time. And yes, people have made campers out of them because people have made campers out of everything. But no, they're not, they're not quote unquote real vans. And they're mostly for off-road use. In fact, some states will allow you to import them, but you can only use them as if you register them like an ATV. And so you can take them on ATV trails and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, sadly, <laughs> as much as I would love to be able to say, folks, there's a, a great Honda van out there for under $8,000. Yeah, this isn't one. So if you travel around, though, you might encounter these things. They're interesting little vans. And in Europe, you might see vans that are made out of motor scooters, uh, also popular in Southeast Asia. They're basically Vespas with a van back on them. You've heard of tuk-tuks probably, that's the Filipino name for uh, vehicles like this, but they're basically enclosed tuk-tuks. <laughs> and inside, if you ever peek in the window of one, they have handlebars and not a steering wheel. So know this term K-van, you may see it come up, and do not get excited about really affordable vans that are very, very cute, because you can't tell from a picture just how small they are. And they're super, super small. Me being six feet tall, I couldn't fit in one. I mean, imagine if smart car made a van and then shrink that. And that's what we're talking about here. So very happy to have the note, Erica. And I really appreciate you sending me the link. Unfortunately, we're not going to be driving these things and making campers out of them anytime soon. Tales from the road. So um, I seem to be going on down a pattern here. So I have never owned a Chrysler vehicle, as it turns out, which is odd. And oh, I take that back. My Winnebago's a Chrysler vehicle. I think that's the very first Chrysler vehicle I've ever had. It has a Dodge 413 in it. This tale is about a Chrysler vehicle, another Chrysler vehicle. In fact, a Chrysler E-Class. I believe it was a 1983 Chrysler E-Class. This car was famous not only because it was a K car, <laughs> not that K, a K car made famous by Lee Iacocca. He saved the Chrysler company by coming out with this unibody car platform that was used by all the Chrysler brands. And basically they were the same car with different stickers put on them. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But this car was a fairly common vehicle around the U.S. at the time, and we rented one in Florida. Uh, I was just a kid. I did not have a driver's license at the time. It was 1983, I believe, which would make sense because in those days, rental cars were traded in every year. And we were going to Sanibel Island, which has been in the news a lot lately. And I believe it's about to open again for the public in January, but it doesn't matter for this story. Now, getting to Sanibel, there's an airport in Fort Myers, Florida, but in the 80s, it was very small. It was often very expensive to fly there. So we would sometimes fly to Tampa, or in this case, we flew to Miami. 
And it's not that bad. You rent a car and you just drive across Florida. And there's a famous road across southern Florida called Alligator Alley. Now, if you drive that road today, it's a high-speed interstate, and it's beautiful. I mean, I could have made this a place to visit. Alligator Alley is absolutely beautiful. If you think you're going to be going into Florida and exploring, definitely go to southern Florida and drive across the length of the state. There's nothing there. It's one of these just big roads where there are, like, no exits. There's one exit in the middle that's for an Indian reservation, but that's about it. And it's beautiful. Uh, You'll see big puffy clouds and parts of the Everglades. And anyway, it's really nice. And some of the rest areas have visitor centers that talk about wildlife and stuff. So absolutely recommend you do that. But back in the 80s, there was no interstate. It was a two-lane road with no exits, no way off, and no shoulders. I mean, if you broke down, you were basically either going to drive your car into an alligator-filled ditch, and I'm not kidding about that, or you were going to block traffic. It was kind of crazy. It was, it's really kind of a scary road. There's no lights, and people were doing 80, 90 miles an hour, and then passing each other, hoping that there was not another car oncoming. Now, in the road's defense, it was also extremely straight, so you could see a long way. But uh, you can look up some pretty horrific accidents if you want to. And yeah, as you drove down the road, if you happened to do it at a time when there weren't other cars, you would see alligators jumping into the ditch. But this story is not going where you think. <laughs> I did not break down an alligator alley. But I was in this Chrysler E-Class car, E-Class, based on the K cars, a lot of letters involved in this, and this car had a famous for the time feature in that it talked. This was right about the time that we had figured out how to make computerized voices, and we started porting it into anything. If you remember, the movie E.T. came out about this time, and a big part of the movie E.T. was this speak-and-spell device, which would talk. I mean, it was a toy that we all thought was magic because it could talk. Well, that chip ended up in these cars, and it would talk. And what it would say would be things like, your fuel level is low and important things like that. It wouldn't give you any navigation or anything that we have now. It would just basically (laughs) repeat what the idiot lights were telling you. (laughs) It's a stupid job, but I am going to do it. (laughs) So so we, we get on Alligator Alley, and we had just picked up the car from the rental place, and everything seemed to be running fine. We didn't really think anything of it. And then we heard this. And then a few minutes go by, and we hear again. Your washer fluid is low. And this road at that time took about 90 minutes to cross. And at a frequency of about once every five minutes, we were informed that our washer fluid was low 18 times. And it got a little bit tedious. And then later on in the trip, we found out there was a problem with one of the doors, and we heard repeatedly, a door is a jar. And we thought it was hilarious to suggest that, no, a door is not a jar, a door is a portal. At any rate, if you've never owned a talking car, that's why. This idea ended up being more trouble than it was worth, and when you're on Alligator Alley and your washer fluid's low and you don't have any washer fluid... And you have no way to stop and even pour water or a Coke or some bodily fluid into the tank. 
Well, you're just going to listen to that. Oh, and by the way, there was no volume control for the thing, and there was also no way to turn it off. You were stuck with it. So, now we live in the days where cars talk and tell us things and read us podcasts and stories and swear at us and do whatever we want them to do, but it's under our control. Back then, not so much. And a little part of me is sad that the old alligator alley is gone. It was truly an insane, dangerous road that probably should not have existed with cars on it going highway speeds, but the new road is actually much more efficient and, of course, has a much more expensive toll. Product review. So when I went to Antarctica, I know I've been talking about that a lot, but it, it matters here. So I went to Antarctica. I didn't have much space because the airlines from Buenos Aires to Ushuaia had a very tight weight limit. So I had to be very careful. And I was trying to figure out how to deal with that. I did not want to check any bags because if I had lost my bag, it would have been very bad. <laughs> I could not afford to lose my bag. So I came up with this idea. I bought a little backpack that folded up into the size of a tennis ball. And that worked brilliantly. When I got on that plane, I took all my heavy electronics and put them in that little tiny backpack and it fit great. No one gave it a second look because there was only like an eight pound limit for your incidental item on the plane, which I thought was crazy. Mine probably weighed 30, but nobody asked about it. And I was super glad to have this portable backpack. And then when I was done with it, I made it back into the shape of a tennis ball, threw it in my bag, and it disappeared. So there's a whole bunch of these portable, collapsible backpacks, and I love them because they, they're not as comfortable as regular backpacks, but they're as useful. And now they, what I take to the grocery store, if I walk to the grocery store now, I take this little thing, put it in my pocket, then I put my groceries in it, and it, it's fine. Now, the one I'm going to recommend... And again, there are many, and you can just find whichever one you want, is the Four Monster, that's the number four monster, hiking day pack. And there, again, there are many others. This isn't actually the one I have, but it's very similar, and I think the price is pretty good. So the Four Monster hiking day pack, yes, there's a link in the show notes, uh, comes in many colors, and it, it really is. It's the size of a tennis ball. It, it fits into this little tiny bag, and that bag you can clip onto your belt or just put in your pocket, and it actually comes in sizes. There's 16-liter, 24-liter, and even a 32-liter one, which is actually a fairly good size backpack. It only weighs four ounces. And it's this is not one of those bags that has strings on it. This has actual straps with a non-skid material that goes over your shoulders. It's adjustable and it has pockets. There are pockets on the outside for putting things like water bottles in and then on the inside there's a pocket. And the bag itself, the bag that the backpack fits into also becomes a pocket too. And I don't know what you're going to use this for. I mean, you have a van, right? But if you just put one of these in your pocket for your travels, this can be your one reusable bag for everything. Now, it's very thin ripstop nylon material. It's water resistant, which is good. But again, it's very thin. So if you want to put anything fragile in there, you're going to have to put it in something else for it to be safe. I carried my iPad around in here a lot, but my iPad was in a sleeve and that worked perfectly. It was comfortable enough. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to carry all of my camping gear and go on a long hike with this bag, but for being a tourist and traveling around for the day, having all my stuff in there, it worked great. So these things are only 19 bucks, and they make a great stocking stuffer. Yeah, I know I've way missed the uh, period of time where I could promote stuff for Christmas. Although, according to Amazon right now, if you order it today, it will get there before Christmas because Amazon's insane. 
But this is a better solution than the folding up shopping bags that you see uh, because you can wear it. In fact, if you had one of these and two of those shopping bags, you could carry a whole lot of stuff. So anyway, link in the show notes. It is the four monster hiking day pack. Take a look at the one I recommended and then you know, Amazon will recommend 19 other ones that are similar. Find the one you like, but this one looks like it's pretty good. They, you don't want the ones that have too many features and too much going on. You want some quality in this thing because it, if you get a cheap one, it's going to rip if you put anything too heavy in it. So don't get one that costs 10 bucks. Spend at least 19 or 20 bucks. And if you want to get really fancy, you know, you can go up from there. A place to visit. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you could drive your van underwater? <laughs> you know, like uh, James Bond drove his car underwater and became a submarine. But what if you could just drive your van underwater and just spend a night underwater watching the fish and such? And, yeah, well, you can. Except that you'll have to leave your van. No, there's actually an old sea lab that you can rent and stay in and it's kind of crazy now this is not affordable <laughs> this is not an affordable thing this is not for budget folks it's called Jules Undersea Lodge and that's Jules like Jules Verne and it's in Key Largo Florida which again the things are connecting we're still in Florida anyway this is a weird episode now this thing it's it's a hotel all right it's the only underwater hotel in the united states and it's 30 feet deep on the ocean floor and you do have to scuba dive to get to it now i don't know how to scuba dive but i do want to stay here so they will basically train you in how to scuba dive just so you can get to your room and it was open in 1986 so it's been there a while but it was closed for a few years and now it's back open again and to date, so far, at least 10,000 people have stayed there. Now, what is it? What is it? Well, it was formerly the La Chalupa Research Laboratory, a, a marine lab that was stationed in Puerto Rico in the 70s. And this company bought it and turned it into a hotel. But it's not really like a hotel. It's much, much more like a van. <laughs> when you get in there, yeah, expect a van. This, this is not cushy. It's a big van with a big window and a table, and, and that's about it. There's not much down there. But you can order pizza. <laughs> I kid you not. One of the things they have to offer is that they will bring you pizza. They will send divers down with a pizza so you can order pizza in your underwater van. And uh, last I checked, that was only $179 for that pizza. Now, if the pizza is $179, you can guess how much it is to stay in the room. And it's, it's thousands of dollars a night. This would be a crazy once-in-a-lifetime thing. But if you don't want to spend that much money and still have the experience, you can rent it out just for a couple of hours for, like, a lunch program. So, crazy? Absolutely. Crazy cool? Yeah, I kind of think so. Um, it's on my really ridiculous bucket list which my bucket list is so long that i'm going to be dead long before i get to do everything but if i'm ever down there and i have a few extra thousand dollars in my pocket yeah i i might i might just i might just go down there and do it obviously you need to see this for yourself there are videos and such at the link in my show notes but they have the shortest url it's jul.com jewel.com you can just go straight there and, and yes, they, they have a gift shop, of course. Resource recommendation. So it seems like a lot of people are about to be snowed in. <laughs> so I'm going to bring back up an old 
resource recommendation, probably one that you've heard of before. But really, for van life folks, anybody living in a van or anybody who's going to be holed up anywhere, things are going to happen in the U.S. over the next few days. People are going to lose power. They're going to lose internet. Internet's going to be super difficult. So I have two things for you here. First, make sure all your exhaust ports are clear. If you're using a diesel exhaust or you're going to run your engine or anything like that, make sure there's a way for the exhaust to get out of the snow. Okay, that's the easy one. Second, go to whatever streaming service you like, whether it be Amazon Prime or Netflix or Disney or whatever, and download an entire TV series you've never seen before. Now, some services have limits on this. Paramount Plus, sadly, only lets you do four episodes, which annoys me to no end. But I haven't found any limits on Prime or Netflix. So if there's a show on there you want to watch, you can download the entire series. And that's what I did on my trip to Antarctica. Because I knew I wasn't going to have enough internet to watch anything. And there's no TVs in the rooms. And, and I was going to spend five days in Drake Passage. So I figured it would be okay to have some TV to watch. Yeah, this is a lifesaver. You will always have something to watch if you do this, and you won't need any internet at all except when you download it. And there's a lot of great series out there. I mean, take a chance, you know? This is the time to take a chance on something. All you have to do is using the app on your iPad or iPhone or Samsung tablet or Android phone or whatever you watch on, Go and find a series, and there's usually a button that says download the series. And you press that button, and yeah, you're downloading many gigabytes of stuff here, so it takes some time. One trick is to download it all to removable media so you're not filling up your device. So download it to a flash drive or something like that. And no, you can't share this content. You can't take these downloaded files and give them to somebody else because they will need a login to validate them. Over time, they will expire. They don't last forever. So don't think you can download all of The Man Who Fell to Earth and then watch it six months later. But they're usually good for like a month. So get ready now. Now is the time. You know things are going to go crazy here in the next few days. Why not go and park yourself at a library or a Starbucks or whatever and download a whole bunch of content? And I think it's a good practice to always have something to watch on there in case you don't have any internet and you need to distract yourself. I mean, heck, if you can find it in your heart to get into Dark Shadows, the old vampire soap opera, there are so many episodes of that that you can just do this in perpetuity probably for the rest of your life. Well, folks, that's the end of episode 149. Thank you once again for joining me. I absolutely appreciate it. And music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And for the quote this time, I actually had ChatGPT write us a quote. So I'll tell you about that next week, maybe. But uh, here is a short poem about van life in the winter written by a computer. Van life in the winter, a cozy home on wheels, bundled up and snug as the wind and snow reveal. The mountains covered in white, a winter wonderland. The van keeps us warm as we explore this grand. But even in the cold, there's beauty to behold. The joy of van life never grows old. <laughs>